Our nervous system informs our entire lived experience. So your thoughts, your feelings, sensations, interactions, habits, patterns, <laughs> why you choose the job that you have, you name it. Um, it's all informed by your nervous system. So when I learned that, knowing that that is the impact that the nervous system has on the life, it's hard for me to like think of a way to coach without including it or like a way to do that without having that be a major part of transformation. Welcome to the Reparenting Podcast with me, Melissa Maris. In these interview episodes, I talk to wellness experts that I feel complement the art of reparenting. We discuss how they've used reparenting themselves as well as their own childhoods and their approach to parenting their children. Today's conversation is with Beth Brissett, who is a nervous system practitioner and somatic coach who specializes in the vagus nerve. She has a background in education and is passionate about helping people overcome trauma so that they can live their best lives. This is such a powerful discussion where we cover the importance of understanding your own nervous system and how it's formed in our early years. There's so many crossovers with my reparenting work and specifically the inner child. So you'll recognize a lot of what I talk about in my solo episodes in action here. Beth offers up exercises to help you when you're triggered and helps you to identify parts of yourself that might conflict with each other. Beth is also part of my Raising Parents program and we've recently co-created a new course called the Reconnection Roadmap that fuses the nervous system with reparenting work. To find out more, head to the show notes. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful for you being here. So it feels like everywhere I look at the moment, everyone's talking about the nervous system. But for anyone who doesn't know anything about it, Please, can you explain a little bit about what a nervous system coach actually is and why someone might need your help? Yeah. Um, so a nervous system coach is kind of something that I made up. Like it's not that there aren't other people out there doing that. Um, but at the time when I was like, oh, I'm going to be a nervous system coach, um, it just sort of organically happened. Um, our nervous system informs our entire lived experience. So your thoughts, your feelings, sensations, interactions, habits, patterns, <laughs> why you cho choose choose the job that you have, you name it. Um, it's all informed by your nervous system. So when I learned that, knowing that that is the impact that the nervous system has on the life, it's hard for me to like think of a way to coach without including it or like a way to do that without having that be a major part of transformation, basically. So along with that, I had my own kind of healing journey that led me to understanding more about the nervous system. And um, yeah, it just kind of organically unfolded. So all things nervous system is how I help people change. Beautiful, wonderful explanation. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about like what the adverse effects are of having a dysregulated nervous system, what would that look like? Yeah. So it can show up a lot of different ways in people. Um, we live in a world where everyone kind of lives dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, that looks like that frantic kind of go, 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 overachieving, hectic, hurried, 
Oh, gosh, like fight or flight. Like it's that, it's that kind of activated. So uh, nervous system language, that's the sympathetic nervous system. So that kind of mobilized energy. Um, and then we'll crash out dorsal vagal. That's the crash out state. So we tend to cycle through these, um, these states. And even as a society, our systems are really set up very, hectic and hurried and uh, like work and school and all of these things. I mean, you and I were chatting in the morning about the kind of school rush and how crazy that is. Mm. Everything's on a clock, everything is timed. And so it just really feeds into being dysregulated. It is very, very difficult to have natural regulation in this day and age. Um, So yeah, uh, personality wise, like things like snapping, being triggered, anger, um, shut down, people pleasing. Those are the types of kind of personality things that we tend to see with dysregulation. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could probably name anything and I'd be like, yep, that's nervous system dysregulation. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And when I became a mom, I, it was just the, the first moment where I really realized and started to learn about the nervous system because I was really dysregulated. That was the most mm-hmm. like overwhelmed I've ever felt in that first year postpartum and and it led me on the journey to understand like how to regulate my nervous system and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what happens both to the parent and the child of the newborn or whatever um to the nervous system in in those moments and maybe any personal experience you've had so first, what is what happens in the nervous system between mother and child? So the nervous system is built in utero. So during pregnancy is when it starts to be developed and it continues to be developed well after birth. So for those first years, and it's most sort of spongy, like it's most sensitive and absorbing the most during those formative years, which is uh, zero through seven. And really children within that age range, they don't have the ability to self-regulate, especially infants. Obviously, we kind of know that now. Um, In the past, we didn't really, um, which is why things like, which again, no judgment, we're all just trying to survive, like, but things like cry it out and things like, like that, it's it's missing the mark a little bit. It's not, it's not informed nervous system uh, action, if that makes sense. But again, we all have to sleep. So do what you got to do. Um, <laughs> it, no judgment. But what, but, um, what would that, what would that kind of thing do to a child's nervous system? If, if that approach is taken, which obviously it is a lot, right? Yeah. So um, in my opinion, again, not a doctor, not a therapist, but from what I know in the the nervous system, what you're basically doing is you're allowing the that flip of sympathetic to to dorsal you're you're just letting that happen both are dysregulated so basically the baby needs soothing it cries to get the soothing it can't soothe itself and then essentially we cannot exist forever in sympathetic nervous system like we will get sick we die all kinds of things will happen we can we can create a functional version of that, but true sympathetic nervous system activation, we cannot survive like that. So what ends up happening is that they cry long enough that that dorsal vagal crash out system will come online. And then that's when they fall asleep. It's kind of like, it's just, I I hate to use the word that it's traumatizing, but it's, it's, it's a trauma cycle. It's a trauma cycle is what that is again, like it's not the the baby's going to be okay. If you have to do this, I certainly understand some people don't have options. So 
it's not doing what you think it's doing. It's not the baby isn't soothing themselves and then going to sleep, I guess, is the the clarification that I want to make. So um, having some form of attention, I know there's like softer versions of cry it out um, where you you are attending to the baby. You are letting them know that they aren't alone, a little back rubbing, and then you leave back and leave. That can be a softer version of that, that at least lets them know that they're not um, abandoned, basically. Um so yeah, the babies can't soothe themselves. It's not possible. So having a regulated nervous system as the caretaker is actually what forms that child's nervous system responses. So if you are regulated, then you are able to regulate through your nervous system. Our nervous systems are actually set up through something called uh, neuroception. And again, we're kind of geeking out on the science here. Um, and through neuroception, we are constantly subconsciously reading our environment for cues of safety, um, life-threatening danger, uh, that type of thing. So it's reading it all underneath with our five senses. We are, it's not something we're taking in. And so babies are, or we humans in general, we are able to read other people's nervous systems. We will match with them. If someone is dysregulated, our nervous system will naturally want to dysregulate with them in like evolutionarily speaking, that's really, really helpful. Like if you had a threat coming in, it was really important that the entire village would peek up for that or that in herds of animals, there's a lion. It's really important that the one gazelle that spotted the lion can trigger all the rest of the herd to run. So that's, it's evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, it's really, really important. But we can kind of, now that we know that we can utilize that to form really, really healthy nervous systems in our kids. Um, If we are dysregulated, we will pass that dysregulation on to our children. Um, Even just sort of subconsciously, I can remember moments where I was really, really dysregulated when I first had my son and I would be holding him and he'd be screaming, like screaming, crying, like just hysterical. And I'd be like, I don't understand what's wrong. I don't know. You know, and looking back on it now, I was like, oh, he could literally feel I'm trying to soothe him, but I'm soothing him in this like frantic, panicked, hectic nervous system energy. And that's why he wouldn't stop crying is because I was, I was the one holding him. And if I could do it over again, I would pass him off to my husband. I would go regulate and I would come back. And if he still needed soothing, if my husband wasn't regulated, then I wouldn't be holding my baby in a dysregulated state, wondering why he's still crying. (laughs) Mm, And so we just just wish that there was a bit more support beyond just you and your husband, right? Which is what we're all doing it. We're up against in modern day society, but because we used to do it in tribes, right? And have so many people that could have this huge big nervous system rather than just two adults and one tiny little dysregulated nervous system. Yes. And as parents, like it's so hard when it is just you to just say, like, oh, don't be dysregulated. Like in those first months or even like years you're, it was hard on me. I don't know. And I know some people like fall into motherhood really gracefully. Like I did not, it was very, very hard on me. Um, I hadn't started doing any of this work. I was very much, uh, like former self sort of type A personality, high, strong living in that sympathetic activation all the time and having, uh, a baby need me like that was so overwhelming. And we were very much isolated. It was just my husband and I, our family was on the other side of the state. And 
yeah, I don't, I, I, it's hard. It's easy to say, don't be dysregulated. But in that situation, when you haven't eaten or slept, or you don't know what you're doing and you have no support, I mean, is there another option? I don't know. Mm. It's so, oh. so hard. It really is. And I think it's a very typical experience in the modern world, sadly, right? What are the kind of things that can regulate the nervous system in those instances? Because you're saying, we wish you could just regulate it. I think people would be asking that, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of things that you can do. Just the first thing I want to say is that it's really, really important that you find what works for your nervous system. So just if you try something and it doesn't work, don't let that stop you. It just might not attune to your nervous system. Try something else. You will find something that regulates you. Um, But the breath is really one of the best tools that we have to regulate our autonomic nervous system. Um, So autonomic means automatic. And so it's most of these things we, well, Wim Hof would argue with me, but we can't regulate our autonomic nervous system. Again, like control our blood pressure, like with our, with our minds, with our conscious intention, be like, I would like to have a lower blood pressure. I would like to reduce my heart rate. But one of the things that we can do that will influence that is influence our breath. And so um, it's one of the quickest ways to kind of regulate. Um, It's not available to everyone though, because when we are activated, our breath is one of the first things that we kind of lose control over. And so it can feel intimidating to try and shift that when we're panicking, like slowing the breath down when you're panicking is not always available to people. So there are lots of things you can do, discharging the energy with shaking, like a shaking activity or dancing activity, running in place can help to discharge some of that uh, energy. The general idea behind the breath is you want a one to two breath. So a certain amount in through the nose, double that amount out through the mouth. So like a four breath in an eight breath out or a three breath in a six breath out. Um, and several rounds of that. When we breathe in, we have a slight sympathetic response. When we breathe out, we have a parasympathetic response. And so when we focus on that out breath, it slows that physiology down and can help bring us into regulation. So those are some, a couple of things that could help, but there's, there's tons of stuff, but again, Mm. it's kind of about practice, 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 practice. Doing that is not going to make you feel regulated for days. You're not going to just take a couple of breaths and be like, oh, okay, I'm regulated. For for some in the beginning, for me, doing a, a regulation practice would leave me feeling regulated for a few minutes. And then I'd have to do it. It was a lot of regulating for me in the beginning. So don't give up. <laughs> it's a journey, right? And it starts yeah. with just the first step and the next step and the next step. But I think that's really sound what you said about depends on your nervous system because we all have our own individual, right? And we all have a, um, I know I used to be really in fight a lot of time, a lot of the time, especially as a, as a teenager that really showed up. And in my twenties, it was a lot of fight. And now um, I feel like, or it's kind of mutated to flight and it's just identifying where we're at. Right. And then working with that. And Mm -hmm. how would, how would you know what, what nervous system response you are having? How would you know even the difference between dorsal and, and, and sympathetic? Yeah. So in general, sympathetic is a mobilization of energy. So you can think of it as like uh, activating energy. So anything that's kind of on the higher end of things and anything that you could pair into like fighting or fleeing, like so um, 
again, anger, anxiety, classic anxiety symptoms, shallow breathing, rapid heart rate, frantic thoughts. Um, I have to, this feeling of like, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to do something. I have to do something like this feeling of having, having to take action, um, is a big one. Um, being triggered, short tempered, short fuse, that's all sympathetic. So that kind of heightened, like buzzy energy dorsal is the opposite. So that is collapse. That is shut down. It's not freeze popular to, I mean, a contrary to popular belief, um, which is like a big thing that I always want to like correct people on freeze is a mix of, uh, sympathetic and dorsal. It's a, it's freezing. So dorsal is shut down. So that's hopeless, helpless, apathy, flat, fatigue, shut down, disconnected, dissociated. You can't feel your body. You're foggy in the mind. Um, any of those types of sensations are typically felt there. It's all shut down. It's a slow down, disconnected uh, feeling. So that hopefully gives some characteristics of those states. Mm, yeah, it's really helpful. And I actually experience a bit of um a bit of dorsal this week interestingly mm-hmm. it's just it's just reminding me like and sometimes because I had some big news and sometimes when I've that's happened to me in the past I do find myself in that like it's like for example when the the news hit about COVID and I was like I feel like I was just in dorsal like uh, <laughs> oh my god what has just happened right mm-hmm. and and what would be like if I was your client what would you say to me if if I could recognize that state to kind of move yeah. out of it Yeah. So when we're in dorsal, you want to think of yourself, the kind of classic analogy is a barren hibernation. So you want to be really slow, really gentle with your regulation techniques. So one of the ones that I offer often um, is like body squeezing. So just simple squeezing and you can name body parts if you tend to dissociate or you feel dissociated. So like you kind of can't connect to your body. So this is my hand, this is my forearm and, and, and really leaning into what is the pressure my body wants? What is the speed of movement to the different parts of my body? What does, what does that feel like? What feels good to me? Um, so just gentle body squeezing stretching can feel really good. Um, starting to get the breath moving. So you want kind of the opposite. So something like breath of fire. So the kind of like quick, like uh, pulsated breathing. And again, you can kind of Google any of these breath works mm-hmm. uh, can, can be really, really helpful to kind of get some energy into the body. Um, pressing, like squeezing, pressing your feet into the floor, wall pushing is one. So let's do exactly that. Go against a wall and push up against that wall. Anything to kind of bring some gentle energy into the body will help click you out of that dorsal vagal uh, state. So fascinating. Thank you so much. And um, you're also trained in IFS, internal family systems, which like in some ways, I guess is similar to the reparenting work that I do. (laughs) Like obviously my reparenting work is trying to become your own, your own parent to yourself to overcome like any difficulties or blockages that you're having. Can you explain um, to anyone that doesn't know what IFS is, like what does it do and how does it work? Yeah. So in general, it's parts work and, and the, the type of parts work that, so it's somatic parts work that I'm like technically trained in. It's a 
it's a little side part of IFS. So it, it deals with the body, like very, very much in the body, these parts we have. Um, it's taking a, an approach almost like wounded child work. So maybe some of your listeners are really familiar with that. And the reparenting stuff is obviously a lot of kind of wounded child work. Um, we have these parts of us that are um, exiles, basically, is, is how the, it's kind of the term for the wounded child. And then we have all these parts of us that we have parts of us that manage things. We have parts of us that are um, like putting out fires, uh, that are protecting. We have protector parts. We have teacher parts of us that all show up in different ways. So um, the thing that's most freeing and simple for me in parts work though, is this idea that we aren't just one entity, like that it, it isn't just like you have to only feel a certain way or don't feel it. So, so for example, um, sometimes when we're trying to think about what to do about something, we'll start this process, this thought process of like, well, I know I should be helping my mom with the dishes. I know I should be helping them, but I don't really want to help my mom with the dishes. But, and it's like, we're trying to land in this process of like, do I want to help my mom with the dishes or do I not want to help my mom with the dishes? Does that mean I'm a good person or a bad person? We're starting to create identity around our choice and pressure and all of these things. And the reality is, is that both of those things can exist in you in the same time. Like, I want, there's a part of me that wants to help my mom. There's a part of me that doesn't. And both of those parts are okay. And I'm not either one of them solely, if that makes sense. And then we start to track down again into that wounded child where it's like, well, why don't I want to help my mom with the dishes? What's going on there? What, what am I protecting by not doing it? Or what am I doing by trying to people please? Why am I not using my voice? And so it's this pattern of kind of mapping our system that we have this system and it's made up of many, many, many parts. And we aren't just one of them. And that's really freeing to me, I guess, because we feel a lot of guilt around our feelings and our emotions and our habits and why we do things and why we don't. Um, and it's all okay. It's all a part of the bigger system. You don't have to land in just one part and have that be you. Um, can hold space for all of it. And that's very much nervous system work and reparenting work. And mm, yeah. About coming so kind of whole, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Exactly. By, by including all the various parts of us, like we have all these little bits and bobs inside of us and we can feel any one of those at any given time and it all makes us up all of them together. So that feels freeing to me, like uh, feels safe. I think for me, learning that felt safe for me. Yeah. And it's just giving ourselves that permission to be more authentic, right. And just show up mm -hmm. just as we are. And because there is so much conditioning in our society and our family systems and our school systems, right. Where it's like, you have to be X, Y, Z and and everybody's different. And it's beautiful to have these tools now that give us permission to just be as we are and not yeah. be ashamed of that. Yeah. So how do you use that kind of work or and your nervous system work in your parenting, bringing it back to parenting? Yeah, definitely more the nervous system work is <laughs> what I'm using in my, my parenting, but definitely the parts language of there's a part of me that feels this, there's a part of me that feels that is something we practice all the time with my son. Um, for me as a parent, regulating, regulating, regulating when my son inevitably so beautifully 
pushes my buttons because no one pushes our buttons better than our children. And uh, Dr. Shafali talks about like, that's literally their purpose here is to trigger you so that you can wake up. Um, and so embracing that, but, but regulating before I'm doing the thing, addressing the thing that dysregulates me has been such a blessing in my parenting journey. The amount of times in the early years that I would snap at my son or just over nothing he was doing, just over things I was experiencing. Um, And now having that awareness and the ability to pause and the ability to say like, I see you. So that validating piece, I see you, I can see you're you're upset, but like, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to go regulate. I'm going to come back and um, be able to speak with you rather than respond, rather than react. Like I'm just going to react. And it's not perfect. Trust me, there are times in life where I'm still reacting, snapping. um, And that's where we learn to apologize, repair rupture in a way that's really, really meaningful. And I think that's important. So a lot of my clients are like, oh my gosh, I'm still snapping at my child. Yeah. Yep. That's that's a part of parenthood. And, and you can now model how we apologize, take accountability, like come back into connection. That lesson is important too. And without ruptures, we wouldn't be able to, to have those lessons. So for me personally, that ability to pause and regulate, giving me the space to respond has been huge. It's been everything. And for my son, I hope that I'm giving him tools to kind of stay in his body. Um, A lot of the things that we do when he's upset is, again, using the words to describe what he's feeling. And then also saying, and where do you feel it in your body? Where do you feel this? It's not just the feeling, but like, where do you feel it in your body? And describe it to me. Is it prickly? Is it fuzzy? Is it soft? Is it warm? Is it moving? Um, So that type of uh, language is something that I never had in old parenting. Um, and certainly like our parents didn't have, but, um, yeah, I hope that that's giving him a foundation for connection to himself, connection to be able to hear his voice and not have to learn that he has a voice later on in life. Um, like I did. So, yeah, I think, I think that's been the biggest impact. Yeah, and that's such good modeling as well to be able to take yourself away and have that pause, right? Mm-hmm. So because I feel there's a big story in in our culture where it's you know modern day culture where it's like women should just attend, mothers should just attend to the child, and and you know it's selfish to to go and tend to yourself first. And actually, I think it's so important to be able to do that because then our kids can see that they can do that as well. They can take that time. They can take as much time as they need to really work out how they are and what's going on with them, and not just tend to other people. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's really. It's just amazing you to, to hear you talk about that physical aspect. It's one of the biggest things I do teach my clients to do, like name those physical things that are going yeah. on because we are so disconnected from our bodies and it gives me great hope about the next generation and what they might be able to to do if they are more connected to their bodies because that's where our intuition lies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And if there was like one, what's your like go-to favorite regulation technique that you could give to parents? I know there's, there's loads, but if there's one that you could say, oh yeah, my, my kids just really deeply triggered me. I need to pause. What do I do in that pause? 
Mm, Yeah. So my favorite regulation technique for parents, if you're really, really triggered, discharge some of that energy and you can do that in any way where you're moving your body. So I would say that if it's really like you're, wow, you're really hyped up, discharge some of that energy, move your body in a way that just slightly elevates your heart rate. It doesn't have to be crazy, but you just want a little bit out of breath and a little bit like you're doing something. And then when you come down from that, attend and befriend. Basically what you do, you get calm and quiet. You start naming everything that you feel, both emotion-wise, even if it's something that you're thinking, and then also sensation-wise. So, and what do I feel in my body, basically? Um, so you name it all. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. My my hands are sweating. I'm, I feel tense. My shoulders, I can't breathe. You're just going to kind of brain dump. You're going to brain dump everything that you are feeling and in this situation, emotionally, sensation-wise. Once you've kind of come through the list, you then say to yourself, maybe hands on heart, eyes closed, and what do I need in this moment? And the the part of you that you're asking is that inner child. What does my inner child need in this moment? What is there for me? So many things will come up and it's a way for us to tune into our intuition as well and hear our own voices in kind of the, like, as you were mentioning, that sort of like selfless motherhood uh, demand that society puts on us, right? It's a way for you to say, my needs matter too, which is we all need to hear that. If we're reparenting ourselves, we need to hear that our needs matter too. And and so it's a way for us to check in with ourselves. And that's very, very regulating. When we when we talk to our inner child, when we say, I want to hear from my inner child, that is very that's a very regulating uh act that you can do. And it's healing. So attend and befriend is one of my favorite ones for parents. It's the one that I pretty much always do when I'm triggered. <laughs> Love it. And yeah, I'm familiar with it through you as well. So it's really wonderful to hear it um, on this podcast. Um, So you've also got a background in education. We've had so many conversations about the education system and about how sad it is that the education system isn't trauma-informed, doesn't have any awareness about the nervous system, kind of puts kids all in the same box. Um, and there seems to be such a rise in, you know, special educational needs now, especially with COVID. It's really being exasperated with COVID, right? So I wanted to just ask about, like, from your personal experience, like, what what insights did you have about what could help that educational system improve or re- reform? Mm. How much time do we have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you and I could sit around for 18 hours and talk about this. Um, when I talk about education, it's the one time where I really just lose myself and forget how long I've been talking. So I'm going to try to stay present um, <laughs> and regulated. Um, I obviously first would be to be trauma informed. So that like for staff, teachers, everyone to be trauma informed and to do nervous system reg- regulation educationally with students, as well as having professional development for teachers, for staff, for everyone else, and how they can read their nervous systems and have support in that. So really injecting the nervous system into that um, system would be my first suggestion. Beyond that, we don't respect children as humans. 
we, we hold them to a higher standard of what we would hold ourselves. When we don't get something that we want, we get upset. When we don't move our bodies, we get agitated and stressed. When we have a boss that's hounding us to do this and do this and do this, and you're not doing enough and you're not doing it right, we feel worthless, like we feel underappreciated. But for some reason, that's the system that we've set up for our kids to succeed in. It makes no sense at all. The fact that our children sit in desks still all day long with a half an hour for for recess is mind boggling. Like, So like having movement in the classroom, having choice in the classroom, I honestly would not even, and this is maybe really, really controversial, I would not have academic teaching in like the first three years. I would have academic exposure. I would read to the kids. I would let them, you know, it's not, they will absorb it. My son, my son read really like early and everyone was like, oh my gosh, you've done such a great job teaching him to read. It must be because you have a background in teaching. I'm like, I didn't teach him anything. I just read books to him. And, and I know that's... Some of that is just personal development for him that he read a little bit early. Kids develop at different stages. But if we expose our children to things, they will pick them up. We don't have to force feed them. We do not. And in in doing that, we are dysregulating them. And when they're dysregulated, when they don't feel like they can attune to their innate needs, use the bathroom when they want to move their bodies when they want to play, like why they aren't learning through play is mind boggling. Um, Then they're learning less. Actually, when you're dysregulated, the parts of your body that retain information, sorry, the parts of your brain that retain information and facts, it shuts off. It shuts off in protection of us. Um, But we don't store things long term when we're dysregulated. So it's it's all backwards. <laughs> Everything is backwards. If we treated children and celebrated children for being children and just helped them to be more childlike, they would learn better, f- faster, quicker, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I think I completely agree with everything you said, of course. And I think the big part of the problem is that we're so hell bent on making them succeed, but making sure they succeed in the world and achievement is like the number one thing. And we're completely missing the mark on their emotional well-being and their mental well-being, right? And that's why we're seeing such a rise now in, you know, mental health issues and emotional issues and sensory issues and all sorts of different things in kids because that's just not being tended to, which is just so sad. Yeah. And like as we were talking before, those formative years, like a lot of those formative years, our kids are in school. And that's when the wiring of the brain, the wiring of the nervous system, like the habits, like the the mental, the emotional stuff, we're literally wiring our kids' brains to be dysregulated by not teaching them these things, by not offering that co-regulation, by not just attuning to their mental health and their emotional health in those formative years. You can learn to read at any time. You can learn to do math and algebra and geometry and all of those things. Those are skills. You can learn skills at any time, but the innate wiring of human behavior that happens through zero to seven. After that, it's as we know, we're coaches, it's very, very hard to change. Um, change isn't easy. Changing those innate patterns and habits takes time and energy and effort. So we could be undoing a lot of that effort that we have to do by incorporating the support 
in those early formative years. So uh, yeah, I'm kind of also <laughs> reticent that some parents might be like, since this getting worried, like, oh God, like, what do we do? How do we, how do we help our kids? Like, cause we, all of our kids need to go through the system unless we're going to homeschool, which I don't know about you, that feels impossible. So, um, so what do we do? Like, if we are worried that, and I'm sure many parents would think my kid doesn't display any signs of, you know, dysregulation because they're not aware of what dysregulation is. Um, so I guess how can we ensure that our kids are getting support in a system that maybe isn't supporting them? Yeah, that's so tricky. Um, <laughs> t- advocating, like, I think is really like important that you can advocate for this type of uh, education at schools. I know being, like you said, nervous system work is kind of everywhere. It's kind of a hot topic right now. I know there's a lot of people that are starting to create professional development for teachers and and everybody that learns about this is like, why don't they teach this in schools? So hopefully that's changing. So I would advocate. Also, again, the best thing that we can do for our kids is heal ourselves. Sounds counterintuitive, but um, that really is the best thing that we can do. So the more you are healed, the more you are regulated, the more in touch with your nervous system that you are, the more you can support them when you do have access to your children, which unfortunately is very limited if they're in school. Um, Offering space and regulation when they get out of school, that kind of downtime and having it not just be time where they're tuning out. So like distracted, like giving them an electronic or, or something along those lines, but like having them tune into self, into the body. Um, one of the sneaky ways that I get kids to do breath work is blowing bubbles. So having some bubble time after school can be really, really fun for like younger kids. Um, and you're getting them to do that four, seven, eight breath, that one to two breath. Um, just understanding. I know we talked before, it came up in one of your courses about, um, your kids will melt down when they come home. Like I think you were saying mm-hmm. Maya had had like this meltdown or something. And then you realized that um, it was the safety that she felt with you. She'd been keeping it together and inside all day at school. Yeah. And so many of us parents relate to that. Same with my son. Like when he started school, he would come home and he would destroy our bedroom, like the pillows and the blankets and the he's allowed to hit and punch and throw soft things. And he knows that. So he'll go in there and just throw the pillows and the blankets and swirl it all up and kind of make these animalistic sounds. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) like, I was like, what happened to you at school that you're coming, coming home like this? But the reality is, is they're just keeping it together. They're denying their bodies all day long that if we can give them space to kind of let it out and be that safe presence that can hold space for them and say, it's okay. Your feelings don't scare me. You're not going to scare me away. And and all of that great stuff that we can kind of tell our kids and let them get it out. It's really one of the better things we can do for them, I think. Yeah. And also just to go back and say, if you're listening to this podcast, then it shows that you really care. So you're obviously educating yourself and that education is so key. And all of the things that you were saying before about like you know asking them physically like what's going on in your body like really good stuff to just yeah. really teach them the skills that then they can take back to school or back mm-hmm. to social situations or back wherever they need to go because we can't always be with them that's just the yeah. reality right yeah 
So moving on to you, like what were you like as a child? What was your nervous system like? What sort of things shaped you into the person you are today? Yeah, so I have very few memories as a child. I was dissociated most of my life. I didn't know that until I started doing this work. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I don't have any childhood memories. Completely checked out. Um, my, We've talked about this before, but my family, me, my mother, and my brother were in a really terrible car accident um, when I was three. My brother was like seven-ish. Um, my my brother was physically very severely injured, um, and I I believe looking back on that 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 was a split for me. I think looking back, I just completely shut down. My mom tells stories about me at Christmas where I would just kind of come down like in a daze and sit there and stare, and people would have to say to me like would you like to open a present, honey? And I'd be, and I'd just kind of be in the corner, like, okay. Like, and she would always say, you were, you were so calm. You never bothered anyone. Like you were such a good girl. Like that was my story prior to me looking back and being like, oh my God, no, I was, I was in trauma. I was traumatized and I didn't have so many of our kids, are the good kids. They just, they don't say a word. They don't bother. They don't whatever. And a lot of times they're dissociated. <laughs> they're, they're actually in shutdown. They're in that dorsal vagal or freeze state. Um, and so, yeah, I spent a lot of my, my life dissociated. Um, and in my later adult life, had health issues, often dissociate people that are chronically dissociated, chronically shut down. Um, they often are the people who suffer with things like chronic pain, autoimmune conditions, um, because we we literally sever that connection from our body. And so what ends up happening with pain, for example, um, your body senses that you're not, there's changes in the insula part of our body that helps us map, or the, sorry, the part of our brain that helps us map our body. And your, your brain notices like, gosh, I'm not receiving the signals I should be. And so the body will actually increase signals of pain so that it can be felt so that the brain can actually map it and, and, and feel it. Um, and so a lot of chronic pain stems from dysregulation. Um, and that kind of was my story. And that's what brought me through, through this healing journey and uh, nervous system work and all that fun stuff. But yeah, I was I don't have a ton. I was quiet. I was calm. I was a good girl. Uh, I was detached. <laughs> but that's, isn't that what you said is so apt. It's like society really rewards that mm. behavior. Like if somebody's really dysregulated, then it's like, oh, they're just fine. Like that's, it's good because they're quiet, right? It's good because they're, they're not saying anything. They're, they're just, they're not bothering you. And that just makes me really sad to hear that story. Sad for little you, you know, and I'm sure it does for you too. Like that no one could recognize it. It's not anybody's fault. It's just society doesn't really understand this information yet. But we're getting there, right? We are. (laughs) And were you aware of any like um, struggles that your family had that, that now that are unfolding in your family life? Yeah. Um, lots of people pleasing behaviors were passed down to me, no boundaries, uh, rescuing behavior. So I'm kind of classic former me or patterning, internal patterning that I still have. It's I just want to quickly share that that like 
when you regulate, you don't get rid of your internal records. So like your old patterning, it doesn't go away. You just learn what to do with it and you start to soften its noise and shape it. So I'm always going to have these habits and patterns to some degree or another, and they show up certainly when I'm dysregulated stronger. So when I say old me, I'm saying it with a recognition that it's still within me. Um, But yeah, classic archetype archetype of people pleaser, fixer, rescuer, uh, fawner, uh, except for in my relationships with my boyfriends. I sort of counterbalanced the shrinking, hiding, no power that I had in my family, having no rights, no say, no one saw me, no one heard me. I was invisible, um, except for what I could do to help and save and rescue. Um, So that was my place very much. And then I would find boyfriends that I could be the aggressor, be loud, take up a lot of space, and they would tolerate it. Um, so that was that, and I had a lot of shame over that, like until I realized, um, my therapist actually said to me one time when I was recounting this crazy thing that I did with an ex-boyfriend, um, where I was making, I had this panic about falling asleep, uh, last. So I would panic about this again, lots of anxiety in my former self. And I, he fell asleep and I made him stand next to the bed while I slept as like punishment and like to, for, and, and for young me trying to feel safe and having no idea how to get that for myself in ways that were healthy. Um, and so like playing out this, so she says to me, I said, I was so embarrassed. And she says to me, um, I see the younger you, I see young little Beth just desperate to have her needs met, desperate to be seen, heard, cared for, watched over. And she's like, that's what I see in that moment. And I like burst into tears. And, you know, it was this really cathartic moment where I can say, oh, young me with no real skills was just trying to rectify this experience I was having with my family of origin, this sort of like small, invisible self. Um, I was choosing boyfriends where I could try to heal that, right? Like in this way, that's obviously not healthy. Um, But yeah, so just (laughs) lots of that. Yeah, that's such a powerful share. I think that's really amazing. And it had to come out, didn't it? Like, because that was a part of you, this part of you that wanted to be bigger and wanted to be bolder and wanted to be have autonomy. And it had to come out somewhere. And so in many yeah. ways, that's your safest space for it to come out, isn't it, in your relationship? But also that's just really beautiful that you can you can override the shame that goes with it through understanding yourself from another perspective. Yeah, I did apologize to him, by the way, (laughs) way down the line. Um, But yes, so taking accountability, but also having grace, right? This, this, Mm. that's the, that's the dance, taking accountability, maybe a little healthy guilt, and then having grace for ourselves and this connection to self and understanding that's what this nervous system and reparenting work really does. It's like, gosh, what was really going on there? Uh, it was my younger inner wounded child just trying to be seen, just trying to be held in this way. So it's a healthy yeah. perspective, I think. It really is because it gives that much more love and compassion towards yourself and the other person then also sees that, you know, and receives that. It's yeah. yeah. 
It's wonderful. And I don't think you'd be doing this work if you hadn't have had some of those experiences, you know, as a child in your life. We all, you know, we all come to this work because we want to overcome things that we've experienced, right? And we Mm. can't go anywhere with our clients that we haven't kind of touched ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you the the chain breaker in your family do you think where are you doing things differently or maybe for the first time (laughs) yes um which then translates for many people so I kind of want to give a voice to this as becoming the black sheep so I was once the golden child because I didn't make waves I followed along and and now I'm challenging everything I'm changing I'm different I don't uh, do the same things that I used to anymore. And um, I have to fight really, really hard for that and choose myself. And that um, doesn't fit nicely with my family dynamic. So often that people that are healing, you end up being alone in a lot of ways or losing connections to people who you love. And it feels really important, uh, feel really important in your life. Um, And so then that really difficult decision of, can I still choose myself and be okay? Right. Because so much of my patterning anxious attachment style is my sort of, uh, insecure attachment style is anxious. Um, and that sort of, uh, has a deep fear of abandonment, this deep, deep fear of abandonment is, is in that. So it's really, really hard when you kind of say, okay, I'm willing to lose you to choose me. I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I don't want to. And, and Lord, man, I have fought. I have fought, fought, fought not to lose connections. Um, but when you, when you aren't conscious, when you aren't awake to this stuff and just kind of living in an ego or kind of in like the, the world as it is, and you don't, you don't have this kind of awareness, it just, I just appear selfish. I just appear to kind of be like a troublemaker. Or I, oftentimes my family will say, I'm, we're so sick of you judging us or you're judging us. And I'm like, nope, I'm just different. I'm just, I'm just showing up differently. And that's making you triggered about how you are, how you, how you feel. And you can't go beneath that trigger. Um, and they're so presumably what? not used to you speaking your truth, right? That's the yeah. big part of that. They're not used to you saying exactly what's going on for you and, and what you're seeing. And that's really uncomfortable for some people. Yeah, it becomes really threatening, I think. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a long, challenging road, uh, breaking the cycle. <laughs> um, I certainly still see so many uh so so much of my trauma passed on to my son. Um, it's uh, I'm I'm not the part where it doesn't pass on at all. <laughs> I'm the part where it's starting to not be passed on and starting to have awareness and starting to make corrections. Um, so yeah, it's it's really really hard. It's really really hard, uh, but it's important to me and. Again, so much of it is in the reparenting. It's in the reparenting and the nervous system work because in general, people that sort of are unconscious, if that's the, I don't know if that's the best word to use, but there's low emotional IQ or like low emotional maturity tends to be the driving force in families. And so then it creates all these other 
sort of like trauma bonds or trauma tactics to create connection. Um, and so when, when you start to shift emotionally, it can be really hard to engage in that. It's, 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 it's really hard. So that emotional piece is huge. So that's your big chain breaker, right? And But you said there also you're feeling that you're seeing changes in your son, but that there's still some stuff being passed down. And how do you navigate that? Like what, what, what are your feelings around that? Because yeah. parenting's tough, right? That's the biggest stuff is part for me. Mm-hmm. So first I will give myself the advice that I give my clients in that we aren't meant to completely not traumatize. And again, big T, little T trauma, uh, we're talking little t trauma stuff. So being distracted or stressed and how we parent through that lens. We're not meant to not traumatize our kids in that way. Like everyone needs a story. Everyone needs something that provides wisdom or a deeper connection to self. And maybe as a society, one day we'll get to a point where that's not a thing. But right now, the way everything kind of is, we all need something to wake us up. And usually that's our trauma. (laughs) And again, hopefully it's more little T trauma. Um, But yeah, so we're not meant to not traumatize our kids. And then just a lot of grace and forgiveness to myself, a lot of learning how to repair, learning how to say, oh, mommy messed up. Mommy messed up. Here's what happened. And um, I wish I would have done it differently. I'm going to I'm going to do my best to do it differently next time. And this is what you can kind of expect of me next time. And allowing our kids a voice, I think is so annoying when they're little, so (laughs) annoying when they're telling us, no, I don't want to do that. Um, But as the kind of like saying goes, like it will serve them well later on in life. And if we can provide the safety of, I'm not going to disconnect from you just because you have a voice and each parent can set their own limits around that voice. Like maybe the voice is allowed, but it needs to be said in a way where there's no name calling or it's not shouting or things like that. Um, whatever feels comfortable for, for the individual is absolutely acceptable. But the idea that we just expect our kids to respect us or AKA follow orders and not have a voice or a say or feelings or protest or an eye roll in, in when we ask them to do something that they don't really want to do. When someone asks me to do something I don't really want to do, I I go, God, fine. Like there's a moment, right? There's a moment where you just say, yeah, I don't really want to do this, but then you do it. It's okay. You had a feeling, you had a feeling it's all right. So like that, giving them voice, repairing rupture, I feel like that's the best we can do. I mean, you're the reparenting expert. Maybe you have some (laughs) advice for me. No, totally. I agree with all of it, but I also, what I'm hearing, which is just so powerful and what I totally live by is that we've just got to allow our kids to be imperfect, to be human, right? Because we're all human. And that starts with ourselves, allowing ourselves to be imperfect. And just we're we're doing the best we can and if you get it wrong you get it wrong and you say sorry and that's wonderful modeling right so yeah yeah, totally with you on all of it so in terms of the future what's your hope like what's your hope around parents and kids for the future and now that all this information is more like widely available around the nervous system like where do you think we're heading I hope we're heading where I think we're heading and where I hope we're heading, maybe two different answers. (laughs) 
Um, where I hope we are heading is a place where there's peace, agency, uh, um, grace, uh, connection, deeper connection, less judgment. I, I hope that we're headed to a place where we have a sense of ourselves. We have a sense of why we're, we, we do things a certain way, how, how our inner child informs our actions and our nervous system informs our actions. Because then we realize that we actually aren't those actions. Like we aren't the actions. We are the person observing the actions. And, and that distinction, I think, is really important. It allows then us to have a sense of agency that I don't think we have when we're just stuck in ego. We just react. We just react, react, react. We just have bad behavior or whatever, whatever the case may be. But having that space, that capacity, that agency, I think will make a vast difference in this world. Um, having leaders that are <laughs> like the epitome of like emotional immaturity and narcissism and all of that stuff is just frightening. It's completely frightening. Really, it's just wound, big wounded children that have no concept that that's inside of them. A lot of trauma. So having an understanding and information on this stuff, I think changes everything. Um, at least I hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I think what you're saying there about the leaders and most people in the public eye is that, you know, we need to have more awareness about what trauma is so that we can identify it. And it is there plainly, like everywhere. And then hopefully from that place, we can start to address it and be more compassionate about it rather than so yeah. judgmental, right? Yes, so much more compassionate. That That is required for the future. Understanding that we're all different. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds and that there there's a there's a part of me too that says we have to learn to even love the people that we hate or that we don't understand that we don't agree with if we're going to move forward and the way that we do that is through nervous system understanding nervous system regulation this person is threatening me their thoughts their feelings their ideas how different they are it scares my nervous system and activates me so that i want to fight or i want to run when we can get beneath that we can start loving people that we don't like and see them through a trauma lens and a nervous system lens. And I think if we don't all come together, even the people that we don't understand, even our emotionally immature leaders, if we don't have some compassion there or some understanding, how do we move through that? If we're all still so separate and and arguing with each other about our differences, it's it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why the work that you do is so, so important. And, and you know, I'm so grateful for you to come and share all of this with us. Please tell the listeners where they can find you, how, what sort of ways they can work with you. Yeah, so I am on Instagram. Uh, it's Elizabeth Ann Life Alchemy. There's some dots and dashes in there. Maybe that's something you could like write in a description or something. And then um, my website is lifealchemy one word dot net. Um, you can read about me, my story, what I do um, there. And yeah, I I coach from a nervous system perspective. I it's a dual method that I sort of developed myself where there's this classic sort of life coaching element to what I do 
um, with the nervous system work. So it's kind of working on the habits and the patterns and creating an environment that is allowing for growth and, and what you want to change and shift in your life while regulating learning about and utilizing the nervous system to get you there. So, um, I work three to six month packages and yeah, all that information is on my website, but in in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do. Thank you so much. And we've just had such a special bond since we first met. Like we couldn't like not be connected. Um, That's why I had to have you as part of the Raising Parents program that I did and and why I had to have you on the podcast. This conversation has just been so thought-provoking and inspiring for me like I love our conversations and I'm really happy that we get to share it with the world so thank you so much for coming on here there yeah same thank you so much for having me you've been listening to the re-parenting podcast with me Melissa Maris I'm a re-parenting coach and I run various programs on this topic I also hold a regular mother circle called it takes a village If you enjoyed this episode, please do hit subscribe. And if there's someone you feel would benefit from hearing it, please do pass it on. For more information about the guest on today's show, you can head to the show notes or reparentingpodcast.com. This podcast was edited and produced by Emma Tyndall. Thanks so much for listening.